Oh, it's so great to see all of you. So uh, probably for the first time ever, um, I have to greet people here and on the live stream. So this is one of the new normals, right? We have a congregation that's bigger than we are right here, right now. There are a lot of people who can't make it out here for various reasons, so they are still a part of our church, so we welcome all of you. And in the first service, I walked around because I missed you guys so much. I wanted to see, see real faces and uh, real people. And um, people ask me, what's it like preaching to live stream? It's terrible. It's awful. Uh, the first thing in your mind is you want to stop and like redo it, but you can't. There's nobody there. And um, it's not why any of us ever went in to do this. We, did, we do it for people, and there's just something great about gathering, and we'll talk about that in our message. So there's only two things I'm sure of today, that today was the day God wanted us back. A few weeks ago, I knew this would be the day. The second thing I knew is that we couldn't come back and not talk about our cultural moment. So next week, we'll be back in the Gospel of John. We'll finish off with Encounters of Jesus but I'd like you to open your Bibles today to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to read you a portion of chapter 1. It says, These are the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, now that's the 20th year of Artaxerxes. That's how they kept time in the ancient world, by the reign of kings. And I was in Shushan, the citadel. He's in Persia, which is ruling the world at the time. Then Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and the gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray now to you this day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of your children of Israel, which you have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We'll look at the rest of the prayer in a few minutes. But in verse 11, he said, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And yet let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the cupbearer of the king. Anybody who's ever read or studied uh, Nehemiah knows that it's a textbook study on leadership. Uh, Nehemiah's not a leader like Moses or Joshua or even King David, but he's a master of what we call the art or the craft of leadership. He's the kind of man that when he's presented with a problem, he can craft a vision and a strategy, enlist the people, get the resources, overcome the obstacles, and see a result. And the result that we see in the book of Nehemiah is, is just fantastic and amazing when it comes to leadership. 
Jerusalem's 800 miles away. They go there. They rebuild the wall in 52 days. It's such a, a, a strategic development that secular writers write about it today. So why has God drawn us to Nehemiah? Well, for one reason and one reason only. Leadership has been the cry of the ages. It really has. If there's anything people cry out for in our day and in every day, it's leadership. I don't know if you saw the post by Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock. He's the most famous actor in the world. Uh, It was on ESPN. I'm sure it's on many platforms where he asked, where are you? Where are you? Where are all the leaders? And it's an eight-minute video, and I think what he's saying is, where are the white leaders? Where are the black leaders? Where are the church leaders? Where are the government leaders? Where are the leaders of science, university leaders? If these last four months of 2020 have taught us anything, we have a crisis of leadership. This is the first time in history where we as the people probably have the information in real time that our leaders do. See, in the past, we were in the dark, and they had all the information. Now everybody has information. And so the cry is, where are all the leaders? Now, a lot of times people bring up the problem. They never give you the solution. I'm going to give you the solution. I'm going to tell you where the leaders are. But to do that, i got to take you back 2,500 years to Persia and introduce you to a man who has more in common with with you than you think. His name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Jew living in a foreign land. He's never seen Israel. He's never been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was destroyed 141 years prior. All he knows is about the God of Israel and the words he's heard from scrolls and through prayers. Israel was destroyed 141 years before this man ever came on the scene. And just to give you a sense of what that feels like, Daniel writes about this in chapter 1, verse 1 of his book, where he said, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and, get this, besieged it besieged it. And the one thing we have to learn is the Bible that's in your hand is a real book. It's not so much an inspirational book or a book of pithy sayings or Aesop's fables or bedtime stories. No, there are real people who lived real lives in this book. There was a population of people that love God and fear God who lived in Jerusalem and one day the Babylonians came People that worshipped a foreign god who broke down their wall and, listen, razzed their temple. The word besiege means to level to the ground. How many of us watched on TV just aghast at the looting and rioting and, you know, national monuments being guarded by Humvees and National Guard? And we're so taken off guard because we live in this anomaly, this beautiful experiment called America. But the history of the world is people were besieged and ravaged. The Babylonians come and they murder the dads and they rape the women. And the best and brightest of the young population is taken off into captivity. This is the history of the ancient world, raiding and robbing. And what Jesus said, wars and rumors of wars. Real people lived through real times. And it was devastating. And what we're starting to discover is that our Bible is real. It really is. So we're picking up a lot of new words in the pandemic, right? Nobody ever heard of social distancing, right? We never heard of these words. Well, there's this other word we're saying now. When you leave someone, you say, stay safe. 
stay safe. To which I always say, the minute I get in my car, I'm not safe, right? What would it be like to speak to these people in the ancient world and say, stay safe? It meant a whole lot different thing to them than it means to us. But Nehemiah has never lived through that. Nehemiah is pretty safe. In fact, he's a lot like you and me. He's a devout lover of God. How do I know? Well, read his prayer. His prayer is deep. It's theological. And I don't believe it's a one-time prayer. I don't believe this is one-time prayer where he hears about the desolation and just shoots one north. I think this is a man like Daniel who had a custom and a habit of prayer. We find out that Daniel, when there was an edict that, you know, if anybody praised the God of heaven, they would die that Daniel prayed, but we saw that was his custom three times a day. I think Nehemiah is a man like that. He's devout. He loves God. But like you and me, he's a believer in a foreign land. He's in exile. He doesn't know it. He'll find out in a few short years that his feet are in Persia, but his heart was always in Jerusalem, the place where God said, I put my name. That's the same place you and I find ourselves in. Peter, when he would write the church, said, I beseech you as pilgrims and sojourners and foreigners. Petra had a song one time, we are aliens, we are strangers, we are not of this world. If you know Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of another world, another kingdom. And yes, we love where we are, we love America, I'm sure people love their countries, we abide by the laws, but like Nehemiah, we're aliens, foreigners. He was the cupbearer of the king. It means he was successful. Now, you know what a cupbearer is, right? So before the king would eat or drink, the cupbearer would eat or drink first, and if he keeled over, then you got another meal. By the way, this, the easiest way to assassinate someone today is still to poison them, right? You don't need a big military. Just poison the person, and you can knock them off. But you get anybody to do that, right? Nehemiah was a chief of staff. He was a governor. Anybody tired of that word today? He had risen through the ranks in Persia to become a very prominent man. And you ready for this? Like you and me, he was comfortable. Comfortable. He had all the perks Persia could offer. I don't know if many of you realize this. When the Jews went into captivity, uh, there's that verse in the Psalms where it said they wept by the rivers of Babylon. Well, that weeping was only for a short period of time because once they learned the language and the ways of the Babylonians, there was a part of it they liked. Because they were agrarian farmers in Israel. When they came to Babylon, they learned about medicine and mathematics. They became bankers and financiers. They learned the language and they loved Babylon and they loved Persia. And all the way through, even to the last century, there were large pockets of Jewish communities all around the world, especially in the Middle East. Only a remnant went back into the land, believing God had a promise there. But one day, and God always does this, and I don't know how he does it, God breaks into Nehemiah's heart. This man, Hananiah, comes. I don't know why he came. He comes 800 miles. He he, he knows Nehemiah for some reason. Uh, they're, they're sharing Starbucks, right, in the capital, in the palace there. And Nehemiah said, what's going on in Jerusalem? Never been there. Hananiah says, it's not good. 
The people are on edge. Literally, the Hebrew says their, their teeth are set on edge. There's misery. If I could say one word, there's hopelessness. Hopelessness abounds. The wall is destroyed, which means a lot different things to them than it does today. A wall then meant security and protection. They could worship God and Yahweh and all that. When Nehemiah hears the report, look at verse 4. It says he weeps and he mourns. Now, for all you activistic, let's get it done leaders out there, that's not what leaders generally do, especially in a book that's a clinic on leadership. See, leaders, we think, rush out, jump out, get it done. Nehemiah doesn't do any of that. He doesn't post on Instagram. He doesn't make a public statement. He doesn't donate any money. He weeps and he mourns. See, God got a pathway into his heart. Last Monday after the horrible death of George Floyd and then all the looting and rioting, it was Monday and it's my food shopping day and gosh, I went way earlier than I ever go and I never got out of the car. Sat in the car for two hours. I turned sports radio on and knew there'd be no sports. And I knew they would be talking about what was going on in America. And most of the callers were African-American men. And many of them told stories of police abuse when they were being raised. And then on top of that, almost every one of them said, and don't think the COVID pandemic hasn't been a part of this. And and it really resonated with me because when all this started, I thought, you know, the family I was raised in, my family of origin, we could have never been locked down for three months. Never, ever, ever. My dad was an alcoholic. Both my parents had small businesses and tip jobs. And we were so dysfunctional. If you put us in a house for three months, forget it. And when I saw what was going on in America, I saw it was a crisis of leadership of the lockdown, a crisis of leadership of of people in authority. It was a crisis across the board. And I just weeped. And I mourned. And I, and I felt like Nehemiah felt helpless. Helpless. What do you do? The next thing he does, again, activistic leaders struggle with this, he prays. How many times do we run out and have all our solutions or Or we have all the reasons why it should have been done, right? So Nehemiah doesn't say, Hananiah, it's been 141 years. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? He didn't blame anyone. He just weeps and he mourns. And then it says he prayed and he fasted. And by the way, that wasn't one prayer. That went on for four months. In his mind, it's been 141 years. What's another four months? And what we learn from this is We really don't know what to do. We need to find out from God what we should do. See, that's what's important. Nehemiah doesn't ask God to bless his plan. He asks God for a plan. And he doesn't know it, but there's something more at stake. Something more at stake than a wall. Anyone can rebuild the wall. What we're going to find out was the rebuilding of the people is what was important. And what was at stake wasn't only what was going on in that time. What was at stake is what happened hundreds of years later. 
You see, if you want to know historically where we at, if your if your Old Testament was in chronological order, it should be Ezra, Esther, and then Nehemiah, not Malachi, should be the last book of your Bible in the Old Testament. There was then 400 years of silence until John the Baptist says of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What was at stake was God's vision for humanity. God's vision for Jesus coming, the incarnation, his ministry, all the people he would minister to, his death on the cross, the resurrection, the spirit falling, Paul getting saved, Paul writing one of the most egalitarian verses we've ever seen in Galatians, that there's neither Jew or Greek or bond or free or male or female, we are all one, was all at stake, and Nehemiah never knew it. His brick and mortar of prayer, I believe, was the genius behind what they accomplished. When the pandemic started, Lisa Morris came in that first day and said, we need to repent as a church. She read that scripture from Isaiah. She's been a champion for prayer ever since. Many of you have called our prayer line. Again, Hudson Taylor said it's, it's only possible to move men through God by prayer alone. It's not by might, Zachariah said. It's not by power. It's not by our resources. It's by the Spirit of Almighty God. He can break down and rebuild in one day what it would take us hundreds and hundreds of years. I look at Nehemiah's prayer. He begins in verse 5 with praise. He extols the God of heaven. It's amazing. It's the way Jesus taught us to praise. You, You know what's amazing about that prayer? is that he's a man under authority. Now, he's second in command. The man above him is one in command. He's got the ear of the most powerful man in the world. And he's going to use it to his advantage, but he recognizes God's bigger than all that. Does everybody realize God's bigger than all that? I think in these last four months, you guys got it, hopefully, right? God's bigger than all that. And he extols the God of heaven, the God who created everything we see. And then he reminds God, just circle this in your Bible, of a covenant. We don't talk about covenants. You know what he's doing here? He's reminding God of God's own words. God made a covenant with Israel. He's saying, God, you made this covenant. You called Abraham. You said you would make him a great nation. You said that all the nations would be blessed of the earth. He reminds us of 2 Chronicles, where God says, I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name might be there. For there I have chosen and built this house, that my name might be there forever. And my eyes and my heart shall be there forever. In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen, I put my name forever. Psalm 48, great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, the city of our great king, God will establish it forever. Zechariah 3.2, the Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. Nehemiah said, God, the only reason I want to rebuild that wall is because your name's at stake. 
because the history of redemption is at stake. This was according to God's plan. This wasn't Nehemiah's plan. And you might say, well, Pastor Bob, why are covenants important? Because God made a covenant with you. Read Romans 8. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Nothing will ever separate you. That's a covenant. Not distress or poverty or anything that could ever come will separate from the love of God in Christ what you committed he's keeping to the final day. You all like that one? And how do we know God's going to keep that one? Because he kept the first one. He kept the first one. And he's going to keep that one. Then in verse 6 and 7, Nehemiah confesses that we have sinned and I have sinned. And then he talks about the promises in verse 8 and 10. And then, guys, this part of the prayer is the most important part. And if you don't pray this prayer, don't pray. It's the only time a pastor will tell you not to pray. Don't pray if you can't pray this. In verse 11, he said, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name, and you let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Anybody know what he's praying? Yeah, he's about to ask the most powerful man in the world for something. What he's saying is, God, use me. He's not saying, God, fix this problem. He's saying, God, there is a major problem but God, could you use me? I'm a person of influence. Can you use me? You see, when God breaks your heart and you begin to pray, you begin to realize you're a part of the solution. Where are all the leaders? They're all sitting on this lawn. Every one of us has influence. Now, the rest of the story, again, is a clinic on leadership. Nehemiah goes to King Artaxerxes. He raises the money. He gets the time off. He overcomes obstacles. And in 52 weeks, he travels 800 miles, and they rebuild the wall. And it's an amazing feat. But when Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem, the penny drops. He's there for more than the rebuilding of the wall. It's not the wall that matters. It's the people. You see, the first six chapters talk about the rebuilding of the wall. The rest of the book is how to rebuild people, which would take eight years or 2,500 years. The people were hopeless. They were scarred. They were beaten down. They had lost the vision that God gave to Abraham that one day all nations would be blessed, that a Redeemer would come. We all know it's easier to build walls than people, right? You could build buildings every day of the week. It's so hard to build people. And yet that's what we're called to do. That's what the church is. Peter said we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That we are God's building that brick by brick, he's building this beautiful thing. Not buildings, people. So in Nehemiah chapter 8, and it's probably the only chapter many of you have ever read in Nehemiah. Nehemiah calls the people together. They come to the public square, something like this. He asked Ezra the priest to come and bring the scrolls. They pray. They read the word of God. They sing. And the rest is history. Guys, we've been absent for three months. 
God gave us this wonderful thing called live stream and Zoom. But you might wonder, why is it important that we gather? It's important that we gather because there's something mystical that happens. God's in our midst. He's moving in each and every one of us. He's intermingling us for such a time as this. I'm going to say something. It's not political. I'm just going to use it for the sake of argument. When the pandemic began, um, Jewish synagogues and churches were wondering how they were going to meet. And the mayor, probably rightfully so, said churches and synagogues couldn't meet for the greater good. And um, the church did a great job. Church in America did a great job. We sat home for three months for the greater good of society, even though we had a constitutional right. However, when the riots started, church leaders, synagogue leaders came back and said, okay, uh, you said we couldn't meet, but now thousands are meeting, so can churches meet? To which de Blasio said, and by the way, he said when the pandemic began that he would actually arrest and summon synagogues and churches if anybody met. But when asked now that thousands have met, can we meet again? He, um, he actually said people can meet because slavery has been a 400-year issue. And I agree. He's right. They, there should be protest if that's the American way. But he said don't for a minute think you can put stores opening and churches gathering in the same category. Now, I don't expect him to have a high view of what we do. I almost expect him to think that a CVS and a church are the same thing. But I don't expect us to believe that for one second. Because when they met in that public square, they paved the way for Jesus Christ for the gospel, for the Holy Spirit. The church that met in the upper room paved the gospel, paved the way for the human rights and the entire Western world. A high view of church is there's something powerful every time we gather, something mystical, something wonderful. And the beauty of it all is that the church is in a building. It's people. That's why it's so wonderful we're outside today. We don't have time to go through it, but read Nehemiah chapter 7, Nehemiah chapter 11. You know what it is? It's a list of names. Why in the world would God waste space on names in the Bible? Because you matter, and your name's written in a book somewhere. It talks about all the people that went back and worked, all the people who gave, all the people that sang, all the people that worshiped. I love this one verse where it talks about, and it mentions the leaders, and it says, oh, and 888 people we can't even name right now. Everybody has a part to play. Eugene Peterson said, all the offices and jobs are servant positions for assisting and encouraging men and women to be the people of God and not merely a crowd of religious consumers. That's what de Blasio thinks we are. We are the church. When Christian communities are healthy, the unknowns, the little ones, the 888 unknowns aren't demeaned and dispirited into being followers and consumers, but find themselves acquiring initiative and originality in that they are priests and pastors and deacons and bishops and servants. You know who the hero of the book of Hananiah is? I mean, the book of Nehemiah is? It's Hananiah. 
the guy who came 800 miles to break Nehemiah's heart and remind him of the promise of God. Most of you never knew him before you came today. You don't know any of the 888. They're not even named. God knows them. Guys, we got to rebuild. We've got to rebuild our church. We've got to rebuild our nation. And I think God wants us to build it together. We've got to rebuild Innovate. We've got to rebuild Journeyland. We've got to rebuild everything we do. Why? Because 1,500 people have gone in this baptismal pool. See? When we're the church, change happens. Transformation happens. Hearts are changed. We've got to rebuild. We've got to rebuild together. Not one of us can do it. This past Friday, my wife and I were home. Nobody was there. That hasn't happened in a long, long time. And so my wife's not a movie watcher, but I said, hey, you want to watch a movie? And she's like, well, you know what this is going to be. Like, we're going to go through all these movies, and you've seen everything, and I've seen nothing, and we'll never agree. So we saw the trailer for Harriet, Harriet Tubman, who led the uh, Underground Railroad, and we didn't watch it because of the events that happened that week, although it was interesting how it kind of aligned. But we had wanted to watch it for a long time. Both of us had read books about her. The movie was made by Hollywood. It was really made well. I learned two things. I forgot she was from Maryland. I forgot that she ran away 100 miles and made it to Philadelphia. I forgot that Philadelphia was the center for abolitionism and helping runaway slaves. I was so proud of our city. And I was studying Nehemiah and I thought about this woman. She couldn't read, she couldn't write. She ran 100 miles on foot. It was a miracle. A year later, she's living in comfort. And you know what she does? She risks her life and goes back to Maryland and rescues more and more people. Starts the Underground Railroad. Here's another thing I learned. She's one of the few women, she was the first woman to lead a military regiment of the United States. She lived to 91 years old. And here's what's staggering. Hollywood, which usually scrubs the God piece, I didn't, I didn't even know this. I knew she was a devout woman. She actually had visions and she would prophesy. She did it before it was way cool in our day. She saw the Civil War before it ever happened. God gave her a vision. Without history, she'd be one of the 888 unknowns. My prayer is that God would break all our hearts. That we'd all learn and build together for the next run of what God might want to do. Last time I checked, there's a lot of lost people who need Jesus. And the church has been the hope of the world for 2,000 years. Will you guys join me? Can we rebuild this thing together? Yeah, I think we can. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that we're in your creation. Lord, I think of Psalm 150 where we worship in the open sky, bringing glory to your name. You are good. and Your mercy does endure forever. Guys, we're going to sing this last song. Thanks for joining us. We'll be here through the month of June. If it rains, we will tell you 
Uh, we'll be on live stream. We will let some people into the building. We'll give you all that. Uh, we might change service times. A uh, lot of new stuff going on. We appreciate you coming out. It builds our faith. Make sure you say hi to someone. Make sure you're kind. Wear a mask if you don't know someone. Let's sing this final song.